This is Abnormal Entertainment. I am a real American. Fight for the rights of every man. I am a real American. Fight for what's right. Fight for your life. You're listening to the No Cry Zone, a political podcast from Blue Frog Books in Howell, Michigan. Now, David Hayes, John Arking, and Rob Vedro. So how do you explain the success of Bernie Sanders? Uh, he looks like everyone's uncle. He is that crazy uncle that brings you gifts and doesn't pinch your cheek because he realized from an early age that you didn't like it. And he doesn't do things to you you don't like. You know, it, to go with your crazy uncle analogy, if he was the crazy uncle that brought you gifts... He'd be the one that would bring you, like, the wood toy with the ball that's attached and you kind of get it into the basket, and you'd be like, oh, that's great. Thanks, Uncle Bernie. Um, but to follow through on that, uh, I think that his success is largely predicated, not largely, but a big part of it is the absolute uh, collapse of Clinton. I think her just complete lack of, of any kind of dynamism... If she had any kind of charisma whatsoever, other than a horrifying laugh, and it's pretty horrifying. <laughs> I mean, that shrill, <laughs> you know, where you're like, oh, okay. I'm always like, I'm so sorry that house fell on your sister. <laughs> so I don't know that he ever would have gotten, when he came along when he did, you know, the email thing was just starting for her, and I don't know that, People, I just think people are so hungry for like something that they want to believe in. They want to go back mm-hmm. in 2008. They want to. They remember when they were last excited by a campaign, and that would be 2008. Does a lot of this have to deal with the fact that scandal, whether real or imagined, follows a Clinton like yes. you know a shadow? It does, and that's what makes it even more. I think uh, a mark against Hillary is because she knew this. She's not stupid. She knows exactly. And this whole thing, I mean, let's start with the basic thing of, of, of this whole email, quote-unquote, scandal. It's complete bullshit that right. it's a scandal. It is not a scandal. And she should have been out the very beginning. She tried to just make it go away. I'll just ignore it and it'll just go away. And it's like, it, it, is, it is completely, it flabbergasts me that at this late date, after 20 years of dealing with this crap, she still thinks that by not dealing with it, it's going to go away. It's ridiculous. You meet it head on. You never let it get to the point. You Every time you open your mouth about it, you remind people, this is not a scandal. This is a manufactured scandal. And you shame reporters. You shame them. You are carrying water for a political crusade. This is total BS. But she never did. She wanted it to go away, and it just festered. So did she learn, learn the wrong lesson? In the 90s, wherein she didn't address, really, the the sex scandal. She stood above it. And, Maybe. And she yeah. skated. She skated through as the, the, the dutiful wife, the strong woman, which now, now I took a poll, one out of one people married oh. to me, um, have stated that they view Hillary Clinton as uh, socially, um, you know, in, in, the, in the sense of uh, personal relationships, as a doormat. That she stayed with her philandering husband, right? And I'm and I, and I knew somehow this was going to happen in some way when I saw a Bush and a Clinton pop up on the radar for 2016. <laughs> well, you know what I think, but that's part of the uh, lingering anti-Hillary sentiment is the fact that there's a feeling, rightly or wrongly, and I think it's partly rightly at least, that she stayed with Bill out of pure political calculation for herself. And that it wasn't, oh, well, we have this young daughter and I want to do what's best for my family. I, I think there's a lot of people out there, and I'm not saying I'm not one of them, that think that even in 1998, she was looking towards 2008. And, uh, and, and maybe just even looking towards 2000 when she ran for Senate. That um, she's not going to do what she wanted to do, which is probably plunge a letter opener into Bill's eye. And you know, kick him in the nuts and and walk out. So, so now, but now we're faced with um, a question that no one's going to try and answer because because this is she's polarizing. 
she's a polarizing person. Uh, she's not a likable person. No. Um, but uh, this is this will turn into in one of your favorite terms the uh, the girl who cried philanderer or whatever. <laughs> because what if she really was sincere mm. and she had the best interests of her family at right. heart? Right. And we will never ever ever believe her. It's because she doesn't come across as sincere. And even so, even in the moments when she is sincere, you, you, there's always that moment of doubt. So let's cross that over to Bernie. Here's Bernie Sanders, who he's run three major campaigns in his life. I think when he ran for mayor of Burlington. When he ran for Congress, when he ran for Senate, each time he was told, no way can you win. You have no chance. You're a Democratic Socialist. What are you, nuts? You are not going to win. He completely ignored them every single time. He said, no, I'm doing it. And they said, you've got to stop calling yourself a socialist. And he refused. He says, because this is what I am. And um, his message hasn't changed. I mean, nope. really it has not. He's been on my radar screen probably since the mid-2000s. Um, maybe a little too, bit earlier. Yeah, right it's probably there. when I started first hearing about Bernie Sanders, and and at least from that point forward, I don't think the message hasn't changed one bit. No, I don't think it's changed. Period. Yeah. It's the same because the, the same problem when he ran for mayor of uh, Burlington, um, there was the same income inequality. There was income inequality. Uh, there was massive social issues. He was on one of the front line people on the civil rights issues, right? In in the mid sixties. Um, so, I, he hasn't changed. The, oddly, there's not a single skeleton in his closet because he talks about everything people are going to ding him on. Yes, I'm a socialist. Right. Yes, right. I believe That's, this. Yes, uh, uh, like his Liberty uh, College speech, Liberty I, University. Um, we're not going to agree. But there's things we can agree on, and I think that's the rhetoric that sells. Well, the the speech to Liberty University was so interesting, not because of what he said, because, again, the message didn't change. He wasn't saying anything there that he hadn't said ten times before. It was the fact that at Liberty University and a crowd of people who are largely from Liberty University, um, there were a lot of cheers for what he was saying. Not on everything. I mean, certainly on the abortion issue and other things, he was going to diverge. But... He certainly, you know, the economic populism of what he's talking about uh, certainly is drawing people in, and really from across all age groups, which I think is very interesting. I see we have our, uh, this is our uh, lefty book. Our lefty bookmonger has Mm -hmm. joined us. So, uh, Rob Vedro, question, um, why uh, does Bernie Sanders resonate I don't want to use some of his language, but I think there's been a lot of times where everyone understands that we don't talk about the important issues. Uh, And I think that's why he is resonating, is because he has picked up on some of them and left a lot of the garbage behind. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's a great point in that uh, he refuses to get sucked into the the, the pre-planned corporate media narratives. Uh, of basically keeping score. That was something he was talking about. Um, he compared, you know, basically election coverage now is like a baseball game. Who has more runs? You know, who's leading who? Who made the more gaffes? And he does, you know, he's not the only one, but he largely refuses to get into that um, that dynamic. And I think in a weird way, in an odd way, I think Rand Paul is somebody on the other side who probably does the same thing. Um, certainly they don't see philosophically eye mm-hmm. to eye. But I think it's another one who is somebody else who is like, I'm not going to get into, you know, I, you have more than me or, I, you know, I need to outscore you. And Bernie is, I think, you're right, doesn't doesn't ply into those narratives and sticks to the things that are important to him. So you talked about corporate money. Bernie Sanders not beholden to corporate money. What current Republican uh, hopeful nominee is not beholden to corporate money aside from himself? <laughs> you mean, you mean the Donald? The Donald. Yeah. Are we seeing these 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 Batman Joker version of what's going on here? Bernie Sanders as you know the the guy fighting for good and his polar opposite, but the same, you know, the Joker. It's crazy that we even think that it's gotten to comic book style <laughs> elections. Oh, it, it got there with <laughs> Frederick Douglass. Yeah. <laughs> <Debates>. <laughs> You know, I think the thing about Trump is you're right. He's not beholden in the in the dictionary sense of that word to corporate money, but he is beholden to their interests because his interests are their interests. Right. Well, and, and that, but again, that's a weird form of honesty yeah. we're not used to either. 
he even <laughs> came out and said that, yeah, that's how it works. And yeah. that scared me, like, well, that's what he's expecting once right. he's king. <laughs> Assess that statement, you two. Uh, the yeah. first president, the first Republican debate, uh, Donald Trump says, I have paid money to all the people on this stage, with the exception of Ben Carson. Right. Who he probably would if he had, like, a, needed a podiatrist or something. <laughs> so, uh, I paid money to all these people on, on, the, on the stage. I gave money to Hillary Clinton's campaign, he said, and she came to my wedding. Can that, that's a, just a, that's the, the flip side of Bernie Sanders, right? That's another form of bizarro populism. So, are we waging a comic book war? Is that what it's going to get down to? I think it's more like Mad Magazine. Spy versus uh, yeah, spy. Right. <laughs> you know, and it's it's uh, it, that's a sad commentary on uh, the sad state of political affairs right now. But it's probably a more apt analogy than than anything else. Um, but we're using the two most uh, quote unquote honest people in the race. Donald Trump will tell you he's a jackass. He says what he feels like. He doesn't apologize. He doubles down when people but, think. You he know, see, I think up. Rand Paul can be pretty honest too. Well, and and, and, and he's not, and, you know, worshiping the the, the water gods, well, smoking a bunch of hoochie. <laughs> yeah, but I, I but I think he, uh, you know, his because he's more libertarian than he's than he is a Republican. Um, he's you know he's out there uh, doing. The, I mean, for somebody that wants to, to get the Republican nomination to be president of the United States, he's doing many things that are designed to not get you. The Republican nomination for the President of the United States. Right. You know, leading floor fights to stop government surveillance and, you know, uh, things of that nature where he wants to shut down the security state, which is in direct opposition to, by the way, not just the Republican Party, but the Democratic Party, too. Mm -hmm. Because they're all on board with, uh, you know, not only maintaining the security state, but increasing it. Except for Bernie. Yeah. Uh, and but he but don't forget he's running for the Democratic nomination, but he's not a Democrat. Right. You know. Um, so and so Rand Paul's running for the Republican nomination, yeah. but he is a Republican. He registered now, yeah. right. but he's not. Right. And his father never right. was. Well, it's I think again to go back to to Bernie Sanders, you know, somebody again who's called himself a democratic socialist his entire political life and when it would have been so easy to jettison that title, he's just refused to do so. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, it's funny because you go, oh, there's no way America's going to elect a Democratic Socialist. And you go, well, there was no way that uh, America was going to elect a black guy named Barack Hussein Obama either. And right. yet they did. Right. I, I don't know. It's, um, it's interesting. It's just getting interesting. So now, Rand Paul, uh, he's another honest guy. Trump's weird, bizarro honesty is out there. Bernie Sanders hasn't changed his his rhetoric in 30 years. It's all about, about the same thing. There's no skeletons in his closet. Rand Paul, the odd man out, is he not is he not playing the game well enough? Is he um is he too demure? Is he too quiet? For example, Bernie's not um, a flashy, but he took the invite to Liberty University when no other Democrat would. Right. Yeah. I always thought Rand Paul's father was too. You know, there was a lot of things that resonated with the country with the the Paul family, and they both never made the big splash. So yes, you you still do have to make this presence known for people to be able to trust you as a leader. Is that the fault of the libertarian uh, uh, tactic, wherein ideally less government is better, and no Mm -hmm. government would work? And I'm running for government. No, is it is it this is it eating itself? No, I think there's, that's that's a valid point. Um, I I generally think that libertarians uh, do not approach races as if they're going to win. I think they almost come into them by and large from top to bottom, whether it's a local race all the way up to the top. They 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 know full well they're not going to win, and um, and they don't act as if they're they don't try to win. I mean, that maybe that's an unfair statement to make, and I'm sure there's a lot of libertarians that would hotly disagree with me on that. But it's a perception. Maybe not on their faith. Maybe they yeah. don't believe like like it's conscious. But I think they have to walk into like the Green Party would walk into a race knowing that they're going to essentially be playing spoiler. Right. So there are the libertarians playing spoiler. Now, this is now in a day and age where we would think a, uh, a democratic socialist would be playing spoiler, too. True. And maybe he will. This this can fade, you know. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's we're early. We're we're a year out here, so 
anything is possible. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how this, uh, how we, we get there. It shall be interesting. And um, uh, so we have a, uh, a new uh, GOP presidential debate coming up tomorrow, I believe, right? Wednesday? I believe it's Wednesday, Wednesday night. Yeah. Wednesday at CNN. Um, going back to the format of Fox, where there's the adults at one table, they've expanded their rules to allow 11 combatants in Thunderdome <laughs> this time. Uh, and the kids' table with the, 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 the preliminary debates, the, uh, the opening act, is now down a Rick Perry. So there's going to be five people debating there. What is it, in your estimation, with GOP presidential candidates not willing to give up lost causes? Well, Democrats are certainly can be guilty of that, too. See, but but the Democrats should generally run, run far fewer people. Yeah, in recent time. years, in recent years, in recent years, and last, you know, last yeah. presidential cycle, there was another, there was twelve GOP um, combatants as well. I think this time around they're using it just like a comic book. Was, I mean, I saw so many memes about that that it was the, you know, the the, the comic book heroes that we all root for, um, and a, that's why they leave it big is to make that big splash every day. There's going to be more sound bites. There's going to be more gaps. There's going to be more. Well, the inter- to talk about yeah, that. and you know the interesting uh, one interesting take on the fact that there's so many candidates, whether they be Republican or Democrat. I mean, back in 1976, ironically enough, there were 17 Democratic candidates. Um, and out of that, and there was a, I recently read an article, I want to say Salon, that was talking about that 76 campaign and how, because there were so many, it allowed someone like Jimmy Carter, who otherwise would never have had a shot, mm-hmm. um, to the, the odd dynamic of so many allowed somebody from the far uh, reaches out in, out in the outfield to kind of shine in a way that they couldn't otherwise, where if there was just two or three... They wouldn't even get into the club, so to speak. But because there were so many, it allowed all these people sort of felt obligated to like, well, we got to listen to them all. Um, so that may work for you know the Republicans in this case. I don't think it has so far, only because um, their messages are so overlapping. I mean, there's uh, uh, varying levels of crazy yeah. too. Uh, now this time we, we there's some notable exceptions from last time to this time. No Michelle Bachman. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> Who's who's taking over? Because we're, we're living in archetypes now. Mm. You know, these the, we're, the politics is professional wrestling. Politics is the comic book. Mm-hmm. So we have to have these certain people. Who's filling a Crazy Eyes role this time? I say it's Huckabee. He's going. He's going full bore crazy on everything. So it, calling his Christian war. Uh, Cruz is <laughs> fighting Huckabee for this mm-hmm. uh, at the Kim Davis and so the Kentucky uh, County Clerk Kim Davis her release party from jail. Uh, featuring Eye of the Tiger, which Huckabee and Kim Davis are being sued over, mm-hmm. pleases me to no end because mm-hmm. I love that movie. Um, Ted Cruz was at that rally, mm-hmm. and Ted Cruz was physically barred by Huckabee aides from getting on a stage, talking to reporters, being part of photo ops. And there's a great photo where Huckabee is getting a photo with Kim Davis and her husband, and Ted Cruz is looking over the shoulder of the husband who's much taller than him, uh, and and. <laughs> What we're, we're seeing these are they are these misplaced battles? Do even the rank and file of the GOP realize that there's a bunch of crazy pants out there? Well, who who does this benefit on the Republican side? It benefits Jeb Bush. Yes, because Jeb Bush just sits, just don't engage. Which he's not. Largely, he's not he engaging. Learned. He learned from and his first few gaffes. Just sit, let these guys. I mean, from his perspective, it's like let these guys club themselves over the head, look completely ridiculous. You get the Keystone Cop effect, where they all just completely look unpresidential, and by just simply staying out of it, you know the theory being that his stock will rise. Now that hasn't happened yet. Can we call uh, that pulling a Romney? Perhaps. Um, I suppose you could say that that's sort of how it worked for him last time. He just um, messed up less. Right. He's quieter. Uh, but the, the 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 problem is that the current dynamic. I don't see the current dynamic changing. You're right. From Romney to say Jeb Bush, in that okay, so let's say Jeb Bush stays back, he gets the nomination eventually, he'll lose the general election for the same reason that Romney lost it, which is um, you know having no real uh, vision other than and with Romney it was uh, this guy's evil 
and uh, or not evil, but this guy is bad for the country, and I'm going to fix everything. Even when for a lot of people it was like, there's what do you? There's nothing broken. I mean, other than what you want to further break. It's kind of okay right now. It's a little better than it yeah. was. What's what's so bad? So they were using 2008 rhetoric in 2012. Um, if Hillary Clinton gets a nomination and Jeb Bush gets the nomination, are we going to be fighting 1990 all over again? If if that if that truly and right now if, if I was a betting man and I had to bet on who the two candidates would be, I would bet Bush uh, Clinton. I mean, I really would. I mean, this is the way our political system is. You can always expect the least, and you won't be disappointed. <laughs> and uh, and I just the way they'll 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 be a way to eliminate Bernie Sanders. The 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 corporate media structure will find a way to eliminate him and and make him negligible some way somehow. They're going to try now. Although it, they he they have been saying that about mm-hmm. him for thirty years, and he keeps winning. So let's right. address. I that, mean, though. that is a huge thing to overcome. Right. But it's one thing to say, all right. You can be a senator from Vermont. Okay, we'll let one of you nut jobs into a club of a hundred. You want to run the club? Oh, okay. Well, hold on. That's you know. This is true, though. Uh, but it does come down to the comic book style, as we are looking for our leader, our person with personality to lead us forth, whoever right. that may be. <laughs> the evil side or the good side, and is he just? And it does come down to black. Has and white. he has he hit on something that we haven't thought of in years and years and years, and that? Honesty and a message will win. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, we want to believe that Mr. Smith goes to Washington. We do. In other words, and Mr. Yeah. Sanders goes to Washington. We want to believe that the that the average per person will wake up and go again. That you could. So the Koch brothers can buy all the ads they want, and and you know we saw this in the last election cycle where they poured almost a billion dollars of money, I mean, a lot of money, and for the results they got, it was a poor investment. I mean. If they if they were playing the stock market, they would have done a lot. Or better. was it a long term investment where they have changed the thinking with the mm. repetition? I think the long term investment started uh, a few election cycles ago when uh, the Tea Party came into power, and a bunch of the Tea Party was bankrolled, and that's uh, that uh, satiate the satiate. How do you say the satiated? Is that a word? It's satiated. Sated. Sated. It's satisfied. It's satisfied. Um, English teacher, yeah. It's satisfied uh, the the base, and you uh, had the, these these Coke um, sponsored Tea Partyists in there for radical change, and the GOP uh, establishment latched onto these Tea Partiers because that's our best bet to take things back. It's it's like, you know, making a deal with the barbarians in the next uh, province over when you're going to go attack your enemies. Well, well, we'll get the barbarians on our side this time and have them roll through, and then suddenly the barbarians are drinking all the meat, eating all the turkey legs, and, you know, doing horrible things. So, are we paying for that now? We who? As in the Republican we, Party? as in a country. <laughs> yeah, well. Are we paying for that now? Well, the Republican Party is paying for it. True. I think they, you like you said, they latched onto the Tea Party with a pretty cynical motive of these guys will ride us across the finish line, and then when they tried to disembark, uh, they couldn't. Their foot got caught in the stirrup, and now they're being dragged along, and um, and they can't get out of this. And I think that generally, I mean, my sense of it is is that again, if you watch mainstream media, you would get the notion that we live in an increasingly conservative country and a country that is increasingly more violent and a country that is it's increasingly less safe to live in when in fact i mean the statistics and everything else will tell you it's the exact opposite of that this is a safer country we're we're seeing outcomes come better and this country is becoming less conservative overall What's happening is, is we're being segmented and, and people are voting against their own interests. What they've been doing for a while. But they're finding new ways to make people vote against their own interests. So we're back to the idea of the single issue voter then as a, as a, as a point of contention. Um, we're broadcasting now from the belly of the beast in a community where single issue voting is rampant. Yes. And... Are we seeing, so uh, the community we're in, it's in a Michigan community, and it's, uh, what I would say, a, a higher upper middle class um, overall Michigan community, but there's a lot of rural areas here too. 
Um, and we see, generally see in these rural areas that vote conservative, they're voting against you know, economic viability for the self and for the family. Yeah, basically for guns here is what I see yeah, mostly. Yeah, mm-hmm. mostly for guns. And guns for are religious reasons. And anti-different people. Yeah, um, and uh, I wish we could just get past the whole guns thing altogether because there's far more important things right. mm-hmm. that are going on that is a big battle between hidden money and a socialistic style of Right, right. We could do a whole other show on yeah. on guns and the Second Amendment and all right. that. But to, I, it's a great point about with the notion that because it's a false narrative that's being fed to the American exactly. public, which is that if you are for what I think most people, well, most people I know, uh, common sense gun legislation, uh, then therefore, i.e., you want to ban all guns. I mean, it, it, that's that's the narrative that you're fed, and why are you fed that? Because the corporate interests that make the guns and make the ammunition mm-hmm. and make a lot of money making those things want to keep that narrative going, and so they then feed the money into the system. It is it is it, it is a uh, parking meter in a sense of them that you put your money in and you get what you need, mm-hmm. and um, they put the money into the system, bankroll the politicians that are going to follow that dynamic for them and they make that outcome happen and so again the notion and to use the gun thing is so a lot of people feel like oh they're 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 trying to take away my guns no one's trying to take away your guns but you can't you can't tell them that because that's the narrative that they're fed and that they want to believe because it's part of the uh victim mentality and that that goes to the religious freedom argument you know so Which I think we've into I, the socialism yeah. communism thing. You know? So there's a there's a there's a big question though that no one can seem to answer. I don't know if there is an answer at all. Um, the rhetoric about let's for example just the taking one's guns away. They're going to take my guns away. This has been the the clarion call for the past six years. It's almost seven as we're moving in through seven years of Barack Obama's administration for seven years, um, and no one has come for your guns. Where's that disconnect? Why can't um, the narrative peter out? Because it's not really happening. Uh, because people are stupid. Um, <laughs> do, do we, see, I uh, mean, what I do to get up every day is I uh, to wake up and actually go out into this world that we're in is to say that you know it's just here. There's there's you know intelligent, free thinking people in other areas of the country. I've been there. I've visited, I and that gets me are, moving through. <laughs> I think there are here as well. I really do. Uh, and maybe that is part of this problem of politics is because nobody does sit down with somebody from the other side anymore. I would love to have a Republican well, guest. Compromise is a dirty word. Yeah, I, you know, and just talk it through. But I've had those conversations here where common sense was met in the middle between right. not just me and someone that is against me, but even between two on the right or two on the left that had differing views, when you actually talk to a human and find out what they are actually thinking, and it's different from yours, it's a different perspective on life. Well, I I always put it to, you know, I always put that down to uh, whether you're a Republican or a Democrat, a progressive or a conservative, a liberal, whatever. Um, You know, the thing is, I think we all want the same thing. We all want to... Uh, you know, we all want to uh, have a little piece of the American dream, so to speak. We all want to raise our kids in a pretty safe uh, community and, you know, have them get a decent education. We all want the same things. It's, uh, people have different ideas about how to get there. What happens, though, is, is, is we're, we're, we're trained to question the other motive. That, oh, you don't want what's, you know, I'm the, my side wants what's good for America. Well, only my side really wants kids to be happy. Your side, I don't know what, you know. So you start questioning motives, and again, it's that divide and conquer. Who's dividing us? Why are they dividing us? And what are they using to divide us? Mm-hmm. And it's money. Mm-hmm. They're dividing us on money. And message. And, and they're getting that message out by money, i.e. Citizens United, thank you, mm-hmm. uh, where it is now, you know, where money is speech, so if you have let's, more money, you have more speech. Off there. Will Citizens United be repealed in, in our lifetime? I think it's going to go state by state. It's interesting. California is working on this initiative to find a way to uh, go around Citizens United 
Um, and I think you're going to maybe see slowly, hopefully, uh, you know what, I, I wouldn't make any predictions. I'm hoping, I'm hoping that that's the way it's going to go. I don't see the Supreme Court overturning Citizens United anytime soon. This is why I like Bernie. Is He's been talking about these things for 25 years now. And if he did get in, he would already have laid the groundwork to do big things like that. And once he was president, people would want to be on his side to get things done like that and really change change the system. Because it really is, the system is broken, and it's broken for 40 years of money being fed into it in dark, shadowy corners. Now, we've seen that, and when Citizens United came through, and it allowed... Um, undisclosed uh, massive amounts of corporate money to go into elections. That was supposed to be the thing that swung Mitt Romney into the White House. It didn't work. Nope. It didn't work largely in, in the Koch brothers as an example uh, nationwide in different elections they dumped money into. Will its, it's non-success as a tactic be its undoing? No, I, you know, again, the, uh, I think Rob mentioned it, that it's maybe it's the long game of, uh, uh, of putting the money in, of changing the message, changing the environment. And that doesn't happen in one or two election cycles. Mm-hmm. And that maybe that there is this slow turn um, where they can change the message away from what, say, someone like Bernie Sanders or even someone like Hillary Clinton uh, is out there trying to trying to to she talk about gets a message, you know, if she ever gets a message. <laughs> yeah. Um, and likely uh, because my name is Clinton. You know. Message. Well, I mean, yeah, it's that's the other I think infuriating thing about Clinton is that you know you would have thought from two thousand eight she would have learned the lesson of you can't you know because she expected to be anointed in two thousand eight and then was like who's this guy what is going on and you would have thought eight years later she would have learned like. You know, and she still she came into this election, I think, with the expectation of I'm going to be anointed, and then who's this guy? Mm-hmm. Um, so a lack of lesson learned. I mean, to kind of tie things back around to where we originally were talking, like why is Bernie Sanders' message resonating? And I I still think a large part of why his message is resonating um, is not so much his message; it's the lack of a message from Hillary. Very interesting. It it leaves the field open right. for his message to resonate. She has no message. Other than elect me, I'll protect you from them. And that is just as bad a message as the other side. But don't you think Bernie, I mean, not that he picked his message. I'm, I feel that was his life yeah. message all along. But don't you think that a lot of people think the same thing about the politics oh. system in general? They're just scared of the big bad word socialism. Yeah, that's absolutely true. I, I get, I'm not doubting his sincerity in the least. Mm-hmm. No, not at all. I'm just saying... I don't think he would have, if, if she was out there dominating and with a message and building the momentum that he has come and taken from her, because people were going, there was no enthusiasm, none. He brought, he took that enthusiasm and is rolling with it now, and it, she's left going, what the hell happened? Uh, again. Yeah, I felt she did a, a, a on-purpose slow play. She was, she was playing slow to make everybody start guessing what she was about to bring that focus to her uh, and it backfired yeah big time backfired it, well, it completely the, backfired the, the, the email thing that's you know it, it became about that and that mm. took precedence and of course like we said if you're a Clinton you have to realize a scandal sticks to you mm-hmm. like whether it's made up or real yep. it is gonna it's gonna follow you around but let's uh, turn a corner um, the great big donkey in the room right now, Papa Joe Biden. Mm, interesting. He would change the race should he jump in. I don't know that he would win it, um, uh, but I, you know, I, he's either a really good actor. I, he was on Colbert, uh, the Late Show last week, and um, it was a great interview. And I got the sense now he, he could just be a real top-notch actor, and, and, and I'm just an idiot. But uh, I got the sense he really doesn't want to run. I mean, I just I think he's still he's still in grief over his son's death, and I don't know. Now I could be you know tomorrow he could come out and boom he's ready to roll and the campaign rolls on. But I don't know that he's going to run. I really don't. I, I don't. do think that's his personal style though, is that laid back, get what he wants with a big cheesy smile um, type of person. 
that was the way he governed, that's the way he was in, in, in Senate and wherever he was, was he was your best friend, Joe Biden. You know, mm -hmm. he would come in right. and give you a big right. hug and a smile and, and he'd get you on his side with his warmth. He so reminds he, me a he lot a of a play. Goldwater Republican. Yeah. So he's, he's pretty centrist. <laughs> you know, he's not super left, mm -hmm. uh, but just gregarious, happy to see you. Mm -hmm. It doesn't use the idea of an enemy that we have right. to fight. The, the, I think the, the common rhetoric in the GOP now that's kind of starting to fail is they're providing enemies for us. I am the hero because I can protect you from all these enemies. And uh, I do think people are getting a little wiser to that, um, aside from the single issues that they're dead set on. Guns, for example. Um, abortion, for example. You know, there's some people that will not just vote singularly on that tactic there. Um, but Biden comes in, and I think that he could wipe Clinton out of out of the race. But he's well. Look, he said he was going to make a decision by the end of the summer, and so we're technically talking. He's got a week, right? <laughs> you know, he's got a week to come out and, and get this done. Um, and if he's going to do that, I, you know, he's going to have to come out big and roll. I just don't. I don't get the sense that that's what's going to happen. I really don't. And I, I, again, events can prove me completely wrong. But my sense right now today is I don't think he's going to jump in. I really don't. The, uh, assess this. Uh, he's had some meetings with Elizabeth Warren that they're talking about, and she uh, avoided answering directly a question there. Could a Biden Warren ticket change the game? Yeah, there's a lot of enthusiasm for Warren. I personally, I want Elizabeth Warren to stay in the Senate. I think she needs to stay in the Senate. Right? We need someone like her in the Senate to do that business there right now. Um, I think she's smart enough. She, I, I think she's smart enough to know her power right now lay in the Senate. Now, in four years or eight years, it's a different story. Right. We'll see. Um, but I think anyone that could swing Elizabeth Warren to their just even for just a uh, uh, an endorsement. You know, now if she came out today and said, you know, if so, so if I'm wrong and Joe Biden tomorrow says I'm running for president and my biggest supporter right here is Elizabeth Warren, like she's not going to join the ticket, but and she goes, I, I endorse Joe Biden. Well, that's that's a huge leap forward for him. Same as if I think it's more likely that she would come out and endorse Bernie Sanders. I think she would too. Yeah. Let's um. Okay. Let's uh. uh we're going to do a, a pop quiz. So you've got uh, Bernie Sanders. If he gets the nomination, or Hillary Clinton, if she gets the nomination, or Joe Biden, if he runs and gets the nomination, who do each of them choose as their running mate? And then a special bonus point question is, who does Trump choose? <laughs> I've cloned myself. <laughs> Mini Trump. I've decided to uh, clone Mark Cuban because he's just <laughs> as rich as me, and uh, well, not just as rich. Well, he's much richer than me. Yeah, Trump. Trump is much richer, always. Even oh, if he's not. Always richer. Always richer. Very rich. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, I think... Uh, I think they have a hard enough time picking who they picked. <laughs> we're having a hard, hard enough time getting people to this well, race period. Let's assume that, that one of them is going to win that nomination. That opens up somebody else who was running. I think all three... You know, I just politics the way it is, especially on the Democratic side... I think all three would trip over themselves to get someone like Cory Booker to be their vice presidential candidate. African-American, um, you know, uh, very policy-oriented, smart, um, you know, articulate in the sense of being able to uh, strongly push forward initiatives and policies in a way that most politicians don't. They, they want to dance around and play the stick the finger in the wind thing. And, and Booker, to my sense, is he's not stupid. Um, I think he knows when to put the finger in the wind, but he's, he's someone that can take a chance every now and then. But largely because, let's be honest, he's African-American. That makes him... Uh, and good-looking. And good-looking, yeah, and photogenic, absolutely. So that puts him, I think, at a premium for somebody to, to nab. Um, or uh, the uh, senator from New York, uh, Kristen Gillibrand, is another one I could see. Um, she's, you know, left centrist, centrist left, I guess, a little bit. 
Um, but she's had um, a lot of initiatives with women in the military, so she's made some inroads and some allies on the military, you know, side of things, and that's been interesting. So she could be an interesting pick too. Now I don't know; who, it's hard right now to say who would pick who. But, but like, those are some top candidates, I think. Who right would now. you guess, though? Like, for example, uh, Clinton probably wouldn't take uh, Gillibrand. No, she would probably go polar opposite of her. Do you think the Republicans would go after Ryan again? He is like a little wonder boy. You know? He's like he's well, like Robin. Yeah. He is, well, again, photogenic. Mm-hmm. He he speaks well, even if what he's saying is complete and utter nonsense. doesn't matter. He says it well. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I could see that. Yeah. I, I don't because um, the uh, uh, the GOP, uh, once, you, once you're a loser... You're a loser to them. Yeah. Well, he's a loser. You know what? They, that's, will, they will write you off. That's yep. a great point. He's, he's a loser as a VP candidate. I could see that in a future time he might be able to parlay into a, a run. But for the, the purposes of our question now, yeah, I don't know. Um, Eric Cantor, then. Well, talk about losers. Yeah. They I mean, drop you. I, I, yeah. We won't hear anything substantial from Ryan ever again, I don't think. Until a few, uh, many years down the road, quite possibly. Many years. Well, it depends. See, I think, you know, the, the, the Fox News media corporation that is the, you know, the PR wing of the Republican Party, there's a part of them, I think, that would love a Bernie Sanders presidency. They would love it because the party wouldn't be over. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, with the eight years of uh, Obama hating mm-hmm. and Obama paranoia, they could then easily transfer that to Bernie Sanders, right. uh, or and, Biden. You know, and 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 well, it's not that they wouldn't be. Uh, uh, you know, they would they would hate Hillary and they would hate Biden and, and all the rest. But the the paranoia factor of well, he's a socialist. Oh, I mean, he's delivering it to them on a platter. It's yeah. right in my title. Um, you know, uh, he's exactly what Obama always said he wasn't, and he says he is, so there it is. They would love that. They would love a Bernie Sanders presidency. So, why aren't they hyping on it now? Why haven't they started the, the socialist They're still, still too worried about yeah. Hillary. They don't want to give them any time. They're just going to keep beating up our Hillary until they have her out, and then they'll work on Bernie. Well, see, and that's a great point, Rob, you because know. the reason they want to, I, they, they see Hillary as, um, uh, like right now, she's a wounded animal, but mm-hmm. she's not dead yet. Yeah, you know, like she could, you know, Mama Bear could uh, rise up and and so, swat and them still, around. She still is a yeah. Clinton. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's no never say die in a Clinton. Yeah. You know, we went from the sex scandal of Bill to he could get elected today if another term was allowed. Oh yeah. In a heartbeat. Yeah. Yeah. He could get the nomination, and he could pick you know who Kermit the Frog as his running. Well, mate. he could have gotten him in two thousand. I mean, there was never. I mean, even immediately after his scandal, he was still electable. Yeah. Please don't and, go. You know, <laughs> Please don't go. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, uh, it's still too early to say. I mean, this is the other thing. We've all been drawn into, uh, you look at other countries, election seasons run six weeks. Yeah. Most other countries run six-week elections. Right. You know, we've been in this thing now for 18 months we're going to be in this for total. And we're a God, little over a year it. away. I love it. And so much is going to happen in the next so five, six months. Happened. So much has happened, and so much more is going to happen in the five or six months till we get to you know till we get past Iowa and Super Tuesday. Oh, before we get to Iowa, Chris Christie's going to blow up a bridge. <laughs> Rick Perry's actually going to secede. Bobby Jindal, will, right. You know, institute somewhere. Because, oh, he'll turn. You know, you have to leave Louisiana right. unless you're born again. You know, just just crazy stuff that all these guys are going to do. But you know what, that, that's the part that scares me the most, is that's the message that's going out about our country, and there is 49% of our country right now that's latching on to that more as a brainwashing almost thing than socialism or communism. Right. You know, giving your life up to the government, they've given their life up to lies and and hate and, and fear. The world, in, in the defense of the United States in the past few years, the world has seen a renaissance in in the Barack Obama administration and how we play with others. Yes. So Agreed. that's been completely different. We play, we're now playing with others differently than we used to the prior eight years. But 
what's absolutely terrifying for the world, and I, I, when I do what I work, I work with a lot of people overseas, I work with people in different countries, and I have conversations with them, you know, the perception of Americans, you know, and I usually tell them I'm a Canadian, but that's just besides the point. <laughs> uh, a, they're terrified of a Trump versus Putin mm. scenario, Trump versus Kim Jong-un scenario. Mm-hmm. They've seen this guy on TV who is apparently really like that. Yeah. <laughs> well, here's here's what I would say to them: You should be terrified. Yeah. <laughs> okay, because I'm terrified of that. Um, it is terrifying. Yes. Um, and it's and what is more terrifying is the 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 less unpresidential Trump gets, the more his poll numbers go up. What the hell does that say? I don't uh, think there is anything to that anymore. Yeah. That presidential. Where we, I mean, well, presidential in the sense of, I mean, it used to be, like, can this guy handle the button? Mm-hmm. You know, the 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 famous thing from the 2008 election of the you know the, the two o'clock phone call. You know, and the two o'clock phone call, Trump's going to go get out of my room. You know, and roll over. <laughs> You're fired. You know, and, I knew you a know, mistress. You know. <laughs> I still think Obama has been our coolest president. I mean, cooler than Kennedy. Cool. He's he, oh, he's smooth. He's cool. Kennedy. He's out playing golf. He's smiling. Cool. And I don't he's know. very cool. He's our coolest uh, for he's sure. Not, he had both. Of he's the, not Kennedy with only Maryland. had one side of the world. He's not hanging with Maryland. Cool, though. Yeah, but did Beyonce sing at Kennedy's inauguration? No. Um, did. <laughs> Did uh, uh, Barack and his brother um, hit it with Beyonce? We don't know. No. So that's my we point. Know there is no such thing as presidential because that used to be presidential. You well, that's scary. Yourself, to me. Yeah, and that's, there is that's that. absolutely we utterly terrifying. President and everybody. Hates you know, him. I remember going back to two th- the two thousand election. I had a neighbor of mine, and he and we were talking, and he just said, "You know, I really like that George W. Bush. He just seems like the kind of guy you could ca- you could." have over for a beer and that was that whole notion of he's really likable and i i really want to and i'm like here's the thing i really don't want the president to come over for a beer number one you got to run the country so what are you doing at my house drinking a beer get the hell out of here um and the notion of he's got to be likable this likability thing and and maybe this plays into the maybe i'm answering my own question about trump um the whole likability factor who cares i i don't i'll take an asshole competent asshole any day of the week please that knows what the hell they're doing, that can pull the levers, knows where the bodies are buried, and can get the job done, and it's a complete a-hole. The problem is is that they can't get elected. And that is the problem, and they can't get elected because that's our bosses. That's the people we see every day that we despise because for some reason they're holding us back. They're not really, mm-hmm. of course, but they're the asshole. They, got, they force me to do things. I have to be there. They, they make rules. And I got to stick by those rules, and they're such a jerk. And so, what we're seeing—the the, likability of a president—I um, think is it's a quotient now, and it has to be there. We also need the competent person, so they have to have these these skills—one to sell themselves, then one to do the job. The campaign is not the job, right? Look at Barack Obama's hair color. Well, I mean, maybe this is <laughs> proof. Well, this would explain, I think, the success of Bill Clinton, because Bill Clinton could, was the master of both. He could go out there and project that likability to people, and then I think he had the political, you know, uh, wiles, so to speak, to 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 kind of get it done um, behind closed doors. I think with Obama, we're seeing that here in this final year and a half, two years of his presidency. I think he's finally gotten that down. I would argue that we saw it in the first part too, because there was so such massive yeah. obstructionism. Oh, I, he still I, got things done. I, he got things done, but he he missed a huge opportunity. I think, especially in the first hundred days. Oh, he missed you, you know a bunch of huge opportunities. I, 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 he was waiting around for bipartisanship mm-hmm. when none was going to come, and it took him about four years to figure that out. Right. You were not going to see any bipartisanship. I think he figured it's it out not, a lot sooner. He just not they didn't have yeah. a tactic to combat it yet. Yeah. Well, either way. But either way, I like him. It now. was wasting time. He's doing a lot. Of, well, it was wasting time, and now is better than nothing. Right. Well, he's got nothing to lose. I mean, I think it's interesting how you know when you get the presidents in their t- final two years of their second term, uh, they've run their last election, and they, they there are no fucks to be given. <laughs> they, it, who cares? I'm done. This and and they're set. He's going to go like with all the other ex presidents. He's going to get on the lecture circuit. He's going to get paid a million dollars. Well, you see, W did the whole lame duck thing. He just disappeared. Mm-hmm. He went on vacations. Yeah. And that's that's usually what we expect. This total lame duck, whatever, do whatever you want. 
and inmates are running the, the crazy house. <laughs> yeah. But we're seeing this one is this year truly there are no fucks to be given. Right. He, he's making every day there's some some weird conservative dude making a meme because yeah. Barack Obama has done something. Well, but on the other hand, I mean, it, it, Obama has also it, and my big problem with him is way too close to Wall Street. Uh, never severed those ties, and in fact, enriched them in ways that I think I don't think most people understand. Um, well, I think during that crash, there was some crazy stuff that went down to save the planet. Right. You know, well, but a lot. See, a lot of people some, put a lot of people stuff. tack that on, on Obama, but a lot. Mm-hmm. But all that stuff was done under Bush. I mean, well, at the end of his the, the bailout of the banks, that's yes. a, that was Bush. Mm-hmm. And um, the you know the, what Obama did. But those uh, are long term things that they were that they were messing with. They hadn't ever tried to right. Get but he brought in before. the same people that created the crisis. So your Larry Summers mm-hmm. and the, all those people uh, from that that were uh, you know uh, part of that financial Illuminati, if you will, yeah. of Wall Street and under the Richard Rubin you know uh, uh, school of, of economics. Um, you know, he, he brought them in and, um, and Tim Geithner another you know, his first secretary of the treasury, um, they maintained the appearance of change in wall street, but really the, the, the backdoor deals were still being done and have continued to be done throughout this entire presidency of, of, of basically giving free money to the banks uh, they they can borrow as much. They've been able to borrow as much money as they want at zero percent interest, and encouraging them, frankly, to continue reckless behavior, which continues to the same. So nothing has changed on Wall Street in my mind. Right. It looks a little, they've tidied it up. They've they've the stacks are neater and kind of put over in a place, and it's all it looks nicer. But it's all the, the same problems are still there, and and I think that that's uh, that's to the discredit of Obama that and. I think that's why they're deathly afraid of Bernie Sanders because he's someone that's not going to tidy up the stacks. He's going to put the stacks in. I think uh, Obama and his people came into that and said, "Oh my God, what the hell did you guys do? We need somebody in here to figure out what you broke." Was it? Um, And they had to keep him, and they got stuck with those people in order to get themselves out. Well, I think they were afraid. They were. There was fear going on of you know we better bring in the people that know what the hell they're doing. And and you're right, and and it's unfortunate. And I wish that at an earlier point. They could have been jettisoned because, frankly, they were just going to continue the same policies. And this goes back to again, we've you know we've been kind of nailing on Republicans, and yet I think this is where the Republicans and the Democrats are freaking identical in this regard. They are one and of the same when it comes to to uh, the absolute catering to Wall Street and the catering to the big banks. They are indistinguishable in that regard. You know, you they both make sweetheart deals, and uh, and and make that work for them politically. And Wall Street is smart enough. Uh, you know, the Wall Street uh, bankers and hedge fund managers—they're smart enough that. And, and Trump, Trump is a perfect example. Not that he's a hedge fund manager, but he's a you know, a, sort of the Wall Street type. Of he until 2012, if you look at his political giving, it was pretty much 50-50. Yeah, it was pretty much 50-50, Democrats, Republicans. He just greased the wheel where it needed to be greased. He was no, there was no politics behind. I mean, there was no, uh, uh, um, uh, you know, uh, principle behind it. There was no principles behind it, other than here's money for your campaign now. Scratch my back because I need this favor, and, and so on and so forth. Until 2012, when he then got political ambitions and saw that his political future was going to be with the Republican Party. Then all his giving turned to Republicans. The the money in politics has turned into base pay and bonus pay. Base pay, because that's what we do, and bonus pay for votes. Right. You know, we need this through, here's some bonus. And that's the way it's been working for several several terms now. And you can see it, it's both sides. You can, there's all kinds of places that track that, and that's a very infuriating point to me because... Here I am battling a Republican that's really we're battling the same person, mm-hmm. you know, and, and everybody is missing it. You know, deep. well, it's funny because I think there's a lot of times when, uh, you know, we get into our uh, our uh, our particular sports team. Oh, I'm a big Tiger fan or I'm a big Lion fan or whatever, and they take on their big rival. 
you know, or I'm a big, you know, whatever. If I'm a big Tiger fan and they're going to play the Yankees and, and, you know, oh, yeah, go get them. And then, and then we see them afterwards and they're high-fiving each other like opposing teammates. And, you, and you're like, hey, hey, you guys are supposed to hate you're each not, other. We don't do you that. Know? And then you realize, and then you realize you're like, yeah, because, no, they're part of, you're not in their, no, you're in the wrong club. Yeah. All right? Um, their club is different than your club. And, yes, they perform for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, but ultimately, I think the politicians are, are, are in a certain way, there's that element. There, there's club well. There is. Yeah. There is. You know, how many times, you know, uh, uh, is, is Joe Biden, for example, a really good friend of a Republican? They work together. Mm-hmm. You're in the same building. You're together all the time. You're friends. You have ideological differences. Oh, that's a good thing. I'm not arguing against it. Oh, yeah, no, I'm not either. Yeah. I'm not either. I'm just saying, but we don't see it. Mm-hmm. If, 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 if average Joe American saw Joe Biden having lunch with um, God, John McCain, mm-hmm. they'd, they'd freak out. Right. Well, I mean, it's, You're not it, supposed to trade her. <laughs> well, I mean, if you, I think there's far less of that now than there used to be, yes. and and you know, I think Tip O'Neill, uh, you know, uh, masterful Speaker of the House in the '70s and '80s, uh, you know, one of the things that you know he always talked about was as soon as the, as soon as the day is done, let's have a drink, right? You know, and 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 you know, as ideologically as opposed as Tip O'Neill and Ronald Reagan were when. They both were of 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 each of their own side. They could both like, all right, clock, all right, clock out. It's like the it's like the uh, the the uh, sheepdog and uh, Wiley e. Coyote in that yep. cartoon. You know, hey Bob, hey Jim. You know, they they mm-hmm. they punch out. They've okay, we've been battling each other all day, and now it's time to have a couple drinks and and work together. On the political side, though, that's where I think that's where the deals could get done. Where you weren't the cameras weren't on, and you know you weren't performing. And you could maybe say, "All right, look, I'll meet you halfway." And that's the thing: compromise has become this completely dirty word. And that, that's that was, uh, I think, uh, a setup that really hit its stride uh, when Obama came into office and the declaration of opposition happened. So now we've set it up. And so you know, uh, we're in a world where the Michigan State fans can't root for U of M mm-hmm. because you know. Or vice versa. When in all reality, those guys are helping each other up off the field anyway. Right. Well. All right. Well, hey, thank you very much, Rob Vedro, and uh, we appreciate uh, your hosting us here at uh, Blue Frog Books and Howell. Howell, Michigan. Oh, what's the website? Do that. Uh, BlueFrogBooksandMore.com. It's a long website. BlueFrogBooksandMore.com. So, thank you, everyone. Thank you, uh, John Arking. Uh, super political analyst. So thank you, Super David Hayes. Just the headphone guy. And um, yeah, this was our test. So if you enjoy it, uh, send us some communication. Yeah, and I think we should come up with a book that everybody, if we're going to do it here, we should come up with a book for everybody to we check should. out. Well, you're the left leaning bookmonger. That will be your job. Thing. I, okay. I, I would that. suggest Die You Zombie Crackers by uh, Mark Sino and myself. Actually, Not that there's anything political, but I want some money. Here, do me a favor. Reach in over there and grab that book that's standing. No, right in the inside there. It's right up there. It's standing up. Yeah, hand me that book. Thank you. All right. So next week we'll talk about Rush Limbaugh's See, I Told You So, um, which is... Uh, okay, I don't even want to give Rush any more airtime than that. Uh, you know, which was 1993. So... And, uh, with the... The cover of said book has the most brilliantly photoshopped teeth. Yes, that is the only reason that time. book is in this store, so that we can make fun right. of Rush's teeth. All right, that so we all know he made them make that white. Oh yes, yeah. oh absolutely. Uh, so uh, my book of the week, I do have yeah. one. It's uh, oh. the Crash of 2016. It is by some lefty guy named Tom Hartman. Um, but love Tom Hartman. Here is my righty guy. Uh, uh, you know, clause is it is very much just a history book of showing the battle that has been going on throughout our whole civilization of versus government control versus personal rights and how the the balance swings back and forth and the key is always secret money, secret money and All corruption. Right. Things we'll never see. So we will we will never see those things, but we are constantly battling them. In one way or another. And it's been happening since humans were around. All right. So the Crash of 2016 the by Tom Hartman. All right. And I'm going to recommend Rush Limbaugh's See, I Told You So from 1993. And once we get the website up, we'll actually put the Crash of Tom Hartman up there and a link to Blue Frog Books to purchase the used copy of Rush Limbaugh's book because he doesn't deserve <laughs> any more money. Uh, it's not a first edition, so um, it's all of, oh, I'm all sorry. of $1. E- even if it was a first edition, I wouldn't trust it. <laughs> I was all right 
for a while I could smile for a while But I saw you last night You held my hand so tight As you stopped to say Head to abnormalentertainment.com for all of our podcasts and blogs. Go to cinemaheadcheese.com for our movie reviews and news. Don't forget our YouTube channels, Abnormal Podcast and Cinema Head Cheese. Get us on Twitter, at Abnormal Podcasts, and find all of our shows and Abnormal Entertainment on Facebook. You've been listening to the Abnormal Entertainment Network.